0: Wouldn't it be good if you had the opportunity to listen to some of the best advice shared over the last three series? Well, now you can, and here it is. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. It's Ian Cleverden here, and welcome to the last episode of Series 3. As its release lands on the very first day of 2024, I thought it only right to reflect back on some of the very useful and powerful advice given by my guests over the last three series. This is a time of year when many reflect on their own lives, whether that's through making New Year's resolutions, discussions with family and friends over the holiday period, or perhaps just thinking that a change is needed in their lives. In the three series to date, I've interviewed many successful mentors and personalities in the business, education and creative arts arenas in order to help listeners understand how they got to where they are today. Some of the common themes that thread through the series are lack of confidence, imposter syndrome and fear of failure. Virtually all of my guests have had these feelings and worries at some stage in their careers and today we'll hear how some of them have dealt with this. We'll hear from business leaders, writers and musicians. The advice you'll hear is a compilation of clips taken from the full episodes which, as the podcast title suggests, are each around half an hour in length. Do go back and have a listen to the full episodes, even if you've listened to them before, because I'll guarantee that you'll pick something new up from listening to them. One of the most common areas experienced by my guests has been imposter syndrome, that inner fear of thinking that you don't have the skills or the ability to perform a new role adequately. One of the last people you would imagine having experienced this is the Mayor of Greater Manchester and former Cabinet Minister Andy Burnham.
1: You know, I went through university... Uh, waiting for the tap on the shoulder i'm sure you know many people of my generation and my background would have done the same and Mm. even in parliament you kind of think sometimes that you're going to kind of come up you're going to reach your limits and therefore you know you're going to kind of feel as though you've you're out of your depth and you know that's just sort of in the dna i guess you know it kind of comes with the comes with the background doesn't it and Mm. I had to constantly teach myself that I wasn't going to hit those limits. I could keep pushing on, and you know, and that was that's always been a, a challenge all my life. To be honest, I have always kind of had to battle that sense of I can't do that, and I've had to convince myself that I can do that. And you know, it often would be something that would take a few months or even a couple of years, but then slowly I would get into a new environment, feel acclimatized, and then I would be okay, and then the next step. So it was only when I actually put my name forward for Lee. That I started to say to people I want to be an MP and was quite you know found it uh, able to say that and yeah. And not fear somebody sort of ripping me to
0: pieces. Yeah, it's that imposter syndrome that, that a lot of people oh, yes. go through You know, I mean it sounds awful as a phrase, but virtually everybody goes through it. Think, Am I worthy of doing this particular role?
1: Definitely and I'd say to anyone Who who's listening to this who feels a bit of that, you know recognize it you'll still feel it nothing I can say will take it away mm. So you'll still feel it, mm-hmm. and you'll go into a you know a kind of university setting or into a work setting, and you'll immediately feel that you have kind of been let in by mistake, or that you know you're going to get found out, and that that absolutely was a feeling I had all the time. What I would say is recognize the feeling, and just take it steady and hold yourself there, get used to that environment, mm-hmm. and then you'll start to feel different and and, and change, and you'll you'll start to kind of kind of own it you know I remember I always say this but you know I was at Cambridge and I kind of arrived and just was totally disorientated in my first year I couldn't and didn't think I was going to stay there I thought I would not be able to last the course and you know as I've always said you know I came up against people who just looked more confident and more impressive than anyone I'd ever come across you know in my life and it took me probably until the end of my second year to work out, though they sounded amazing, they were talking complete rubbish. And then when I realised that, I then thought, right, well, I, I can, I can, uh, I can do better than that. And I, I, but it's, it's definitely something I would, and I, and I think it's not just a sort of let's say a working class thing. I think it, it affects everybody really to some degree or other. And I would say just recognise it and work with it and work around it, and you'll overcome
0: it. So, you've faced your fears and decided to apply for that dream job. You've secured an interview, well done, but now the nerves are kicking in. What's the best way to prepare for and handle your interview? We had some great tips from international speaker and best-selling author of the self-development book, Sumo, Shut Up and Move On. Let's hear from Professor Paul McGee. Let's focus on job interviews for a moment then. What would your, let's say, your top three tips be um, for just really helping somebody prepare and handle interviews?
2: What I would say, I mean, there will be three tips ultimately. But first of all, I think when you do your first one or two interviews, you put the work in, you put the effort, you do the research. My concern is that when you start to get a number of interviews, if you're not careful, you become complacent. So I have have interviewed people in the last sort of few years. I've been developing my team. Uh, we tried to get some people involved in doing sumo for schools, which is like the, the children's branch of, of sumo. And I would interview people. And I would say, tell me what you know about sumo. And someone would go, um, is it a book? It's a book, isn't it? Um, I said, yes, it's a book. Have you read it? No, but I'm thinking of reading it. Oh, well, that's great. You know, you, you're out the door. You, you Show some respect to your employer or potential future employer what do you know really research the job and research the role and also research the kind and think about the kind of questions you'd like to ask so it's obvious advice but you'd be surprised how often people overlook it is be you know in the, i think it was the boy scouts had this be prepared motto and i do think it can still um mark you out my my daughter is involved in in a management position in hospitality she has to interview people she's staggered people stumble across a job you know opportunity and they don't put the preparation preparation so number one whole thing around preparation and research number two is be a bit of a politician because when politicians are trained get some media training It's often often said that the the politician doesn't always directly answer the question. And what they've been trained to do is to make sure that whatever points they want to get across in that interview with the media, however the questions are asked, those points are put across. Now, how does that relate to you uh, as someone who's going for a job interview? You really want to kick yourself if at the end of the interview, you say something along the lines of, well, they never asked me anything about this or I wasn't given a chance to shine. I think at times you need to think, what are the two or three key things I must make sure I get across at this interview about myself and whether the questions directly lead you to that or not? You don't leave that interview until you think you've actually put across the key things you wanted to ask. So be prepared. Think about what the key points you wanting to put across, whether you specifically asked the right questions or not. And thirdly, it's more the post-interview. And it's what I talked about earlier on, which is to do some reflection and to ask yourself, OK, you know, what worked well? What was I pleased about? Um, And also, what could I learn from that experience and perhaps do differently next time? And I remember one job interview I went for many, many years ago when I was just getting over my illness and he took me to the cleaners, the interviewer, and I'm so glad he did because I was poorly prepared and I have thought to myself, I will never experience that feeling again in my life and I never did.
0: A great example of preparation and doing your research came from actor, musician and one of the most in-demand audiobook narrators in the business, Greg Patmore. He went for a casting interview in a US TV series and was successful in gaining the part of Goodlius Hatfield in the Golden Globe and Emmy Award winning miniseries Hatfields and McCoys. Here's how he went about it. My agent suddenly called me up to say, could you go down to London
3: and uh, meet with this casting director and the part is for some sort of American show he didn't know too much about it said, I'm not really sure too much but um, you need to be able to do a West Virginian accent and ideally play the violin or the mandolin and I said well okay I'm, I'm pretty sure I can pull off the accent but I don't play the violin or the mandolin but don't worry leave it with me and I went the next day and I bought a cheap mandolin from a music store and I sat down and worked out a tune on it and um, I went down to London, met with the casting agent and after we'd done the meeting and I'd had to do my whole here we are, talk like this whole time, what's going on there, boy... Then did all that to camera, and she said, oh, that's excellent. She said, that's really good. Um, do you mind just playing the mandolins? I thought, okay. So I, I got the mandolin up and rattled off this little tune that I'd been making up over the weekend. And she said, that's excellent. Really, really excellent. She said, how long have you been playing the mandolin? And I said, oh, 35, 36 hours. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: Which, I, I guess, was the moment that clicked it, because that was all on video. And anyway, the next thing I know, the... Uh, The director had been in touch with her to say, yeah, we'll have him. So I didn't even have to do another audition. And I was lucky enough to get into the show. Yeah.
0: Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to learn mandolin for your job interview, but I'm sure you get the point. Preparation and research is absolutely key when approaching interviews. And if you're not successful, reflect on why, but don't give up. Having said all of that, you may be happy in your current job and want to develop your hobby such as writing a book, writing songs or performing music in a live setting. It may be that you're already a budding writer or a musician and you want to develop your craft further. We had some fantastic advice from successful musicians and best-selling authors over the three series. Here are a few examples. So let's firstly explore the world of book writing, script writing and publishing if you're considering becoming an author this advice from publishing consultant matthew smith is golden if you've written something and you genuinely want it to be published you want it out there
5: you want it in book form and you want people to read it you have to decide what kind of author you want to be you have to decide for yourself where you genuinely want to be with it you know if you want to be a great penguin author You have to take a very different route to someone who's quite happy to self-publish and put their book up on Amazon. And I think the earlier a writer makes that decision about the author that they want to become,
0: that will define your next steps. So you've decided on the ultimate approach to take. How do you approach the writing of that killer novel? Let's hear the approach taken by three best-selling crime fiction authors. Firstly, the creator of the million-selling D.I. Ruth Hunter series, Simon MacLeave. Start with the end. I mean, I'm very good at three-act structure, so I kind of like, I know when turning points have to happen. I know, understand. I always know the beginning. I always know the end. Um, so that's all plotted out. And the middle bit, I sort of go and have a bit of an exploration to see quite how we get there. So it's a, definitely a hybrid writer. What approach does Malcolm Hollindrake, author of the critically acclaimed Harrogate crime series, take?
5: Uh, at my stage now, I set myself a challenge of a thousand words a day. It's not a lot, but I try to do a thousand words because that also means reading the thousand words from the previous day and adjusting those. That doesn't come into the thousand words I'm going to do today and then writing. And that will then sit on the table. Sometimes it's more. Sometimes it might be 1500. Sometimes it might be 900. It's not written in stone, but it's nice to have a challenge.
0: Do you look at the rewrite and the review of yesterday's work first? Yes, Before you start on a thousand words. Yes, because that's critical.
5: It also refreshes your mind where you left off. I also try to leave a note where I want the next day's work to go. So did I did I cover that the previous day? Did did, did I achieve what I was hoping to achieve from the the day before that? If yes, then I can carry straight on. If no, let's adjust that. Let's make it or an idea might have come to me in the middle of the night. It takes me in a different direction.
0: But where do you start? And how do you choose your subject matter? Let's hear from author of the best-selling DS Mark Heckenberg series and TV script writer Paul Finch.
4: Well, I mean, without wanting to sound too trite, you just have to write. Now, what I mean by that is write in a disciplined way. Pick what you want to do. So don't fire your gun everywhere. You know, focus on something that you know about, that you think you have a that you have a strong interest in. Because if you're interested in it, mm. the chances are other people will be interested in it. So, if you're an ex-copper, for example, no, you don't have to write cop stuff because you might be sick to the back teeth of it. But most of the ex-cops I know who write write cop stuff. That's a whole bunch of us get together in Harrogate. We all write cop stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, because it's it's familiarity, you see, and you all, and you're giving yourself an advantage mm-hmm. because this is about getting writing something that you want people to pay for. So you, you want to give yourself as many advantages as you can. But if you if that's not your thing, if what you're really interested in is ghost stories in Victorian England, then do that. Mm. I mean, I, I would suggest, that you know, don't take half a year researching. Write. Write it. If you need to do some research, leave gaps, but get it down. Because I always think that once I've broken the first draft, I've broken the back of the job. You've got it on paper. It's a different game then. It's there.
0: It exists. It's real. Great advice. I'm sure you'd agree. However, what if you didn't want to write a book, but fancied entering the world of TV scriptwriting? Let's hear from Director of Drama of Downing College, Cambridge, and scriptwriter for various TV programmes such as Coronation Street, Emmerdale and Holby City. Here's Steve Bennett.
1: And that's, that's one of the things that I, I wanted to, to emphasise about writing for television particularly. And that's, there are lots of great writers, but the ones who are working are all great rewriters. That's the key to television writing. There are brilliant writers who can't sustain that kind of job because so much of it is coming back at you saying, can you change this because, can you change this? And it's often not artistic decisions. It's often because an actor has has, has been out, it, or it's it's because there's been a change in the circumstances in on the streets. One of the sets has, has been flooded. So can you move up those scenes out of the rovers and put them into the corner shop and so on and so on. There are so many uh,
0: imponderables that keep weighing in on on what you're writing let's now turn to the world of music and specifically songwriting and performing whether you're setting out into performing and writing music for the first time or you're already a professional and want to take your career to the next level having a mentor is a great step to take as you'll hopefully appreciate the single aim of this series is to bring a varied set of mentors directly to you for your listening pleasure Let's hear how Scottish singer-songwriter and music teacher Finlay Napier approached this. I was talking to Gillian, my wife, about who could be a mentor. And she said, well, what is
1: it you want to do? I said, well, I want to write songs for people like Eddie Reader. And remember that time we supported that guy, Boo Hewardine? I want to be able to do a gig like at that gig that Boo did, where I'm telling stories and I'm singing songs. Um, and he writes songs for Eddie Reader, you know. I said, and the other thing that he does is that he teaches songwriting. So that means he'll be a really good teacher. And I'd like to be a really good songwriting teacher too. And Jill was like, Do you not think maybe you should ask Boo Hurdy then? <laughs> so what you're saying is there's one man
0: who is also a good teacher that fills all the three things you want to do. Why not ask him? So I did. Having interviewed Finn in Series 2, it only seemed right to ask Boo Hewardine if he would be up for appearing in Series 3. I'm delighted to say that he agreed. He writes and co-writes for many artists and has over 2,000 songs published and recorded. We talked about some of the approaches he takes in the songwriting workshops that he runs. Can you give me one example of an exercise you might set? Because there's bound to be people listening now who think actually i'd like to go on one of those workshops well one that
6: that you you can do is is you can write three verses in limerick form so you can just clock what a limerick does and then try and write it away from your instrument and just write those three verses and in that try and move through time so it's simple have a beginning middle and end of some sort of story Mm. and then if you have one line which is the last line of each limerick form can be the title, and then the trick is to come up with a title that means something slightly different in each verse because of the information you put around it. Right, it's not difficult, but it's, it's had some mind blowing results doing things like that.
0: What was his advice on starting the writing process?
6: Do drafts so the first draft could be a load of blah, and half of it could just be you going blah 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 blah. blah. People think they have to finish the song in a one up, you don't get that with any other form of writing. You know, if any of these books we're looking at here, which uh, obviously uh, people at home cannot see, but there are books here, uh, uh, they, they would be eighth, ninth, tenth drafts, you know? So don't, don't be afraid to just blast something out that sounds like it is a song, and then go back and tinker with it, because then you'll have something to work with.
0: Like Boo, Reg Muros is also one of the UK's leading singer-songwriters with a prolific back catalogue. How does Reg approach his songwriting?
7: Quite often, people will will say to to me, "Well, how do you come up with these ideas?" and and I I find that if you, like you said there, you know, if you allow yourself, if you say right now, I'm going to clear my room, I'm going to get my pen and my piano or my guitar or whatever it is, and I'm going to write for 15 minutes. You know, once you once you make that decision, you'll be really surprised what comes out. Mm. You know, and I and it's the same for me as it is for anybody else. You know, if I you know late at night everybody's gone to bed i get my guitar go in the lounge you know I start playing uh, right now i'm going to write all this stuff that you that is underneath you know and you're keeping inside all of it will start to come out and suddenly you you'll find yourself with too much choice you know too yeah. many things to write about and then you have to choose which one am i going to go with you know it is it is very much about you know i talk about the the leap of faith it's very much about you know just just take that leap
0: Here's the fabulous singer songwriter Charlie Dorr explaining how she captures her song ideas. What's your favourite way of triggering the writing of a new song?
8: It's what Robin Williams would call the bing moment, where where you, you, you go bing, oh, I could, <laughs> I could do that. Oh, that's a good idea. That sort of thing. The the bing moment is is important, and to follow that um, straight away, not to think, oh, I'll, that's so good, I'll, I'll remember it tomorrow, because you won't. I won't anyway.
0: Music first or lyrics first?
8: It's a song, so music first. There are two provisos here. One is that if it's boring musically, you can't rescue a, a horrible tune <laughs> with a fabulous lyric. You, it, I don't think it's possible. However, with a, with a song that is half-decent musically, you can, you can upgrade it enormously with a fabulous lyric.
0: Hopefully you can see that one of the golden rules of creative writing is clear. Just write. Capture your ideas on paper or in a recording and then edit and tweet later, but just get something down. So you've written your song and now you're wanting to perform it. Performing the songs is one thing, but actually sharing the background to them and also being entertaining between the songs adds so much to your success in the live environment and the enjoyment of the audience. Let's hear from Reg again.
7: Uh, I had a breakthrough with a... um a song about my dad, and it was uh it was a true story about my dad and i and i I knew I was going to sing this very heavy song about my dad who had died you know, and about how he'd, how he'd split up with his his my mother and and you know and then that all made him miserable and so on and uh but I told this funny story about my dad and about you know his kind of eccentric ways and, and and it got a huge laugh, and I realized that I could If I stuck to the truth, you know, and just told it in the way that I tell a story, it can get you a long way, you know, and I've, I've, Mm -hmm. I've, I, so I did, but I made the truth funny. So that's all I did. You know, I didn't, I didn't make up jokes. I didn't make up stories. I, I told things as they were.
0: Let's finish with some striking and memorable pieces of advice from some of my guests. And as producer of the series, they're perhaps the phrases that have most resonated with me personally. At the end of each episode, I ask every guest what one piece of advice they would give their younger self. First up is CEO of Oxford United Football Club and former Chief Financial Officer of Manchester United and Inter Milan, Tim Williams. He has been through a great number of career forks in the road and therefore has been through quite a few interviews as well, as you can imagine, but in order to continuously improve himself. Here's his advice. The one lesson or the one thing I would tell myself is
2: is just be patient. Don't lose your ambition, but be patient and use the people around you. Speak to them and be honest with the people around you. I've said this before, don't quit when you're having a bad day. Quit when you're having a good day. And it's a really important lesson because if you're down, if you're you're struggling, whatever it is you're struggling with, then the most important thing is to tell somebody Is to talk to somebody in, you know, your
0: line manager, their line manager, HR, whatever. What about stand-up comedian and managing director of the hugely successful Southport Comedy Festival, Brendan Riley?
4: I suppose I'd be harking back to something we've already spoken about: is preparation. Work hard at preparation. Work hard, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you work. I used to race motorbikes. Work harder at preparation because. When I was younger, I wasn't as confident as I am now. And I'm still not an overly confident person. But the more I prepare, the more confidence I have given the situation, whether that's going on radio, talking to a sponsor, going on stage myself, or even comedy workshops. I prepare more. Be aware
0: that you have to. the more you prepare, the easier it is to execute whatever that task may be. Do you see that old chestnut of preparation being key turning up again? What about multi-award winning business mentor and entrepreneur Helen Tonks?
8: Never be afraid to be yourself. Don't try and bluff or be anyone else. Just be your authentic self. And um, that comes from a place of having hidden in the background of um, my first business for nine years. Because I thought if people realised that I was this non-technical woman in a very technical industry very male-dominated industry and i happened to be married to my business partner partner i just didn't think that people would take me seriously and i've actually proven or i've now realized that being in that position is my sort of um superpower um i'm going to throw in network like crazy like mad but in a good way make sure you give back and you're not always taking um and it would be around um There's a a quote that I love, comparison is the thief of joy. And linked on from that, it's the idea of um, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to somebody else is today. So always be striving, always be looking to improve, throw yourself in the deep end, grab those opportunities, but treat yourself kindly as well. And don't measure your success by somebody else's benchmark and achievements.
0: That phrase that Helen used, comparison is the thief of joy, has probably been the phrase that has most resonated with me in the production of not only this series, but of all the other ventures that I run. Go to coronasound.co.uk for more details. (laughs) Sorry for the shameless plug, but it's my series after all. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes. That said, I'd like to leave the last word to the sumo guy himself, Paul McGee.
2: I think it would be just to accept that life is a roller coaster. It's not my quote, but it's a quote that people might be familiar with. Don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart. And I think there's been times, Ian, when I've allowed, you know, I've come off stage to a standing ovation and you think I can take on the world. And then there's other times when things haven't gone well and it's, I feel like it's the end of my world. Paul, just acknowledge it's a roller coaster. Don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart.
0: Don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart. What a wonderful way to end this compilation episode. Thanks to all my guests who gave up their time in their busy schedules to share their wisdom with us and to you for listening as well. Don't forget you can listen to the full interviews by searching for Half Hour Mentor on your favourite podcast and streaming platform. They're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube to name but three. We'll be taking a break from the series for a short while to work on other media projects. See, I have been listening and I even learned from my guests. However, we do hope to be back with you in the future to delve further into the world of mentoring and personal development. Thanks very much for listening. And until next time, bye for now.